You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Ayla Krem. Today is the 100th episode of Diffuse Tap, and we're chatting with Aya Kantarowish, who is the head of institutional coverage for Falcon X. She'll be talking about everything that's happening at the intersection of traditional finance, or what the kids are calling TradFi, and DeFi. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you had some good conversations in the breakout rooms. For those of you who've been here before, you'll know. Oh, you're welcome. By the way, welcome to Diffuse Tap. Probably should have started that. Some of you who's been here before, you'll notice this yellow banner is new. It's because this is our hundredth time doing this weekly event, which is thank you, Chuck. We got some dancing going on. We're feeling it too. Scotty's doing it. Love it. Um, So welcome one and all. If you haven't been here before, here's what you can expect. We're going to briefly talk about Diffuse Tap, and then we're going to talk about Diffuse, why we do this, and take about five minutes of tops. And then we're going to hear from Ms. Aya Kentaroish, who is running up institutional coverage for Falcon X. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced. Um, so we're going to slightly change the form. And the reason we do that is because this is, first and foremost, a networking event. So we spend about 45 minutes of an hour in small groups with crypto and alternative investors from all over the world. We do try to have you come out of here a little bit wiser, hence Aya being here, sharing some of her wisdom. And if you like this sort of networking event, we do have in-person versions of them. We're actually having about one a month at the moment. Uh, we got one in end of April in New York City, hosted by Merzen. And then May 19th down in Dallas, hope it's hosted by Barat. So if you're in that neck of the woods for either of those dates, please do not be shy about signing up for them. So uh, today's the 100th episode. We've been threatening for quite some time. We're gonna do something fun and interesting. So we're giving away an NFT. So you probably wanna know what that looks like. So let's see if I can get technology to work. Here it is, complete with birthday candles and the number 100, very exciting. So this is the actual NFT that everybody who gives us a wallet address um, on Polygon, but if you send us an Ethereum address, we'll send it to your the Polygon equivalent. Send us the address. You can either drop it in the chat then and right now, or we can you can send us a direct email afterwards. But this is your opportunity to own your very own limited edition <laughs> NFT. Very exciting. Uh, so we thought it'd be just something a little bit fun for our 100th, 100th go around here. Now, why do we do this? Um, Diffuse, we spin up crypto funds. We have two live funds right now that are focused on DeFi yield farming. And then we also have a uh, index fund that we think is quite a bit better than anything in the market that we're going to be IPOing as soon as August of this year. Now, also because of the 100th episode, um, we normally have a $250,000 minimum for that. And that will give all of the investors a share of the advisor in perpetuity. So money comes in, it's locked up for a year, and you keep basically a GP stake forever. So it's a nice way to get a lottery ticket, especially if you like crypto exposure. As part of the listing, though, we do need to get our shareholder count up. So we, you know, our, uh, our admin needs are your gain. So just for diffuse tappers and just for today, we are dropping the minimum. If you're interested in DD30 and earning that profit shake, profit share, we're dropping the minimum from 250000 to $10,000 because we need to get our shareholder count up. It's only for the first 25 diffuse tappers who are here today. Again, that gives you a profit share. 
if you are in, and this is for the May 1st close, which is just around the corner. So if that's of interest to you, please hit us up ASAP and we will get that uh, and we will get that sorted for you, or at least you can learn some more. But that is our intro done. And we're not here to hear from me. We're here to hear from Isla. Sure. Thanks uh, so much for, for having me today. Really excited to, to dive into this and uh, feel very, very lucky to be here on the 100th episode. I've heard phenomenal things and have a chance to, to hear in on some of these. So i um, very excited to be here today. My background, briefly, uh, I'm the head of institute coverage at Falcon X, lead all of our sales trading, uh, as well as anything client related for the firm. Uh, Falcon X is three years old, part of the founding team here, uh, and we are building a prime brokerage for institutions in crypto. Uh, so think everything, only institution-based, anything uh, we can possibly offer across 200 different tokens. Uh, for institutions, we have over 500 institutional clients today. Uh, so trading, credit clearing, yield aggregation, staking, et cetera, um, all in one place. Uh, point and click. And so um, very, very excited to talk about uh, the evolution uh, of crypto. Uh, my background previously was at Pantera Capital, where I was on the venture side of the business. Uh, Pantera is one of the oldest and largest cryptocurrency hedge fund and venture funds in the US. Beautiful. I will hop right in here and start asking questions. How has your customer base changed over the last couple of years at Falcon X? Sure. So we started, uh, to no surprise, three years ago, uh, almost 100% crypto native. Uh, and so it was really crypto native hedge funds and venture funds primarily. Our largest persona across the desk is hedge fund, venture fund, and prop shops. So think some of the largest OTC desks, uh, think the Cumberlands and B2C2s of the world. Uh, and that's really changed over the last year, year and a half. Uh, today, we see over 50% of our volume coming from traditional finance. Those include uh, large asset, mass man asset managers who have over 50 billion plus in AUM, uh, all the way to family offices, financial intermediaries, regional banks, uh, investment banks, and larger banks, uh, as well as your traditional venture funds and hedge funds. Uh, what I think has been very interesting is as you've seen a lot of these traditional venture funds enter the space in the private markets, typically they'll make an investment. Uh, but what will happen is these investments have the option of becoming a token uh, at some point. And so what will happen, these venture funds may end up with a token uh, because of how the equity uh, is then converted. And then they turn almost into a hybrid uh, of being a hedge fund venture fund uh, because they have to figure out now at this point, I have maybe 50 million plus in tokens, how do I discreetly sell out of the position, TWAP, VOOP, uh, and use some of these more hedge fund strategies? Um, and so we've seen a lot of that as well, but it, it definitely has progressed to 50-50. And we do have months uh, where our traditional volume flow is far larger than crypto. Uh, the reason it's 50-50 is because the crypto uh, native funds have also grown tremendously in size. So a fund that may have been uh, started off as 50 to 150 million in AUM is now far over uh, 500 million to a billion in AUM. And so you've seen also the institutionalization of those crypto native funds. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So these institutions are coming in, the big boys, and obviously you mentioned the smaller funds are now a lot bigger because crypto is pretty lucrative at the moment. Um, what are the areas that you're surprising? Like, do they dig into any in, NFTs very often? Is that too esoteric? Like, where's the appetite right now, especially with the bear market? Yeah, so the appetite is yield. Uh, so make no mistake um, that institutions really just want to emphasize returns uh, for their shareholders, especially given where the market is right now. If you look at even the NASDAQ yesterday had its worst day since 2020. Uh, and so institutions are looking for ways to find 
returns. I believe uh, if you look at just the first month of the quarter, a number of traditional hedge funds were already down 30% on the year. Uh, and so really looking for other ways to find returns in this type of market ecosystem. Uh, and so for that, you know, one example is uh, you talked about DeFi yield farming. You can see uh, returns in the double digits for some of these. Uh, you can run delta neutral strategies and market neutral strategies that have uh, a leverage on them with over 40% returns annualized. Uh, and so that is a very, very attractive number uh, for an institution that may be, you know, looking at two to 5% in traditional markets uh, to really look at the at crypto very seriously and start to understand smart contract risk and other risks associated with these trades and how to put these trades on through players uh, like both Diffused Tap and, and Falcon X. And I'll hop in right as a follow-up there. I think somebody just sent a question in the in the chat. You're we're talking a lot about kind of institutional products and kind of that that's changed the product mix that Falcon X has to offer. Um, have you guys solved the big need to borrow against staked stable coins? Has Falcon X been able to solve that issue? Yes, we do offer liquid staking, and our clients absolutely love it. I think you know when when you hear uh, a number of institutions trying to build the PB in crypto. Uh, crypto loves labels. And so what does prime brokerage in crypto actually mean? Uh, for us, it actually means, uh, you know, capital efficiency uh, in the bare bone of it. It doesn't necessarily mean off-platform lending to be the best lender, to be the best trader. Uh, as margins are compressed similar to traditional finance, it means capital efficiency. And so taking what liquid staking actually is, is you look at the staked assets as collateral in order to uh, put a position on against that collateral while you're also continuing to earn yield on the staked assets. Uh, so for example, you don't need to unstake your assets and lose that yield uh, in order to then you know, leverage that as collateral. Uh, the reason why this is so important is on average, especially in decentralized finance, collateralization rates are over 120%. So you may be able to get really, really great uh, interest rates. So let's say you're looking to borrow assets. Uh, so you may be able to find rates for BTC and ETH at around four to 5% annualized, but the collateralization rate is 120%. Whereas a Falcon X, you know, you can collateralize 20% and get a rate of 10 to 15%. Uh, interest rate, but you only use 20% of that collateral. And so that capital efficiency is really, really important. And liquid staking continues to enable that, um, especially when you see uh, the biggest uh, uh, use case of this, which is staked ETH. So if you stake your ETH, uh, you can't unstake it until Ethereum uh, transitions from proof of work to proof of stake, and that timeline keeps getting pushed. Uh, and so you're earning yield on that staked ETH, but you want to uh, basically apply that collateral in different ways. So this enables that. Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I got a bit of a softball question from DeWall in the chat there for you. How does your institutional offering differentiate from the other actors in the market? Binance mentioned by name, but kind of what do you feel sets you guys apart? Yeah, so there's uh, three different competitors in this market today. Uh, so Binance and exchanges are one bucket of that. So uh, today we aggregate liquidity across uh, both lip pools and dark pools. And that's really, really important. Uh, a majority of institutional flow actually happens in dark pools today. So they don't even touch order books. Uh, exchanges in general are very retail centric products. Uh, you know, you may uh, not hear there are certain exchanges in the space, not naming any of one of them, but it'll take six months to onboard. 
Uh, there are certain exchanges where you don't have customer service. You're not going to hear from a person on the other side. And so as you think about some of these institutions who want a human on the other side, who want a very white glove experience, or even who want very, uh, very advanced uh, types of algorithms in order to trade certain strategies, uh, you're not going to necessarily find that. Institutions are also looking for proof of best execution. Uh, they're looking for specific accounting and auditing, um, and they're looking for specific standardization uh, of reporting that exchanges may not necessarily have, again, because they're retail-centric uh, platforms. Exchanges also have lower uptime, uh, and so you'll see as volatility increases, some exchanges will go down uh, as mm. well, so you won't be able to access your account, which means if you can't access your account uh, for trading, that means they also shut down uh, custody. So you won't be able to move your assets if you have a margin position and you need to uh, top up, you won't be able to do that and you will get liquidated on those exchanges. So again, very, very retail experience. That said, exchanges have the deepest liquidity without a doubt. Binance and Coinbase, as well as FTX and Huobi have some of the deepest liquidity for tokens. However, um, it is very expensive to list a token on an exchange. It costs $250,000, as well as a dedicated market maker, which you pay for out of pocket. And so for a lot of these projects, uh, they don't have that kind of capital when they launch. And so you see a lot of projects actually launch in DEXs and decentralized finance where they're able to do it for free as long as they have the tokens uh, on their side in order to post both sides of the trade. Um, and I can dive into that. So that's on the exchange bucket side. The second uh, bucket is prop shops. So think about all the traditional prop shops uh, that exist today. This is Jane Street. Uh, this is um, Citadel. This is uh, going to be B2C2, Cumberland. Um, and the likes. Uh, these are some of the winter mute. These are some of the best traders in the space, but these are traders that are trading against their own book of business. So they could be axed against you. They may be trading against you. They do have last look on every trade. Uh, and so the uh, uptime, uh, especially, or uh, the ability to fill a trade even with a prop shop uh, is very, very difficult. That's actually what we spent the first year of Falcon X doing was how do you integrate automatically some of this uh, more unstructured liquidity that has less look into a platform where we can aggregate that. Um, and so uh, these are typically not tech savvy institutions. You're not going to get a lot of technology. Very, very over the counter, very, very manual, but they do have really great pricing. And that's where you see a lot of the dark pools uh, happening as well. So people being able to execute just over the counter, over the phone, voice, um, you know, one-to-one -one without having to take it to exchange. And then finally, the last is technology uh, approach. And this is where Falcon X sits. I would think of other competitors as Talos, uh, as well as Tagomi, which sits inside Coinbase. Uh, and the difference for us is really just approaching the problem with technology, not people, uh, and ability, again, to uh, be able to create capital efficiency. We're not going to win as the best lender that requires a very large balance sheet and margins get squeezed. We're also not going to win with just being the best custodian. Uh, we're not going to win to, with being the best trading provider either. But we are going to win if we're able to uh, combine all of those in a really cohesive way so that people can access all of them in a way that, that makes sense for the strategies they're running. One, uh, one question you mentioned, kind of using uh, technology versus people. What are some of the most surprising things that the institutional investors are interested in? Uh, whether that be different products like NFTs or, or maybe there are different requests in terms of technology enablement that they need when it comes to security or whatever that might be. What are some of the things that surprised you? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, on the, on the NFT point, what's really interesting is currently, uh, if you sit in an investment bank, you cannot touch crypto because the bank itself can't touch crypto. So you have a number of thousands of employees who want to, you know, engage with this ecosystem who can't. And where we've seen that interest actually push into is NFTs uh, because NFTs are more like art, not crypto. Uh, a number of employees at investment banks have been actively trading NFTs. And so you see a lot of requests happen around uh, financial instruments for NFTs. Those include uh, you know, borrowing against NFTs, fractionalizing them, uh, and so on, being able to use it as collateral. Uh, you know, I think that's interesting just given the fact that NFTs today don't have an order book highly, highly liquid, uh, you know, very, very similar to traditional uh, art. Uh, a lot of dark pools, you know, deals that happen where you basically, uh, you know, if you're looking to sell your NFT, you uh, place, you know, a bid, someone lifts it uh, or an offer and someone lifts it. And uh, there isn't, you know, a lot of transparency around what the uh, demand is on the other side. Uh, and so that, that's been really interesting. Um, I would say another thing that's been really interesting is mass adoption of stable coins. Uh, this is really, really, really important. Uh, right now, there is a lot of interest around uh, algorithmic stable coins. Uh, and so these are stable coins that are not pegged one-to-one. But even if you look at uh, stable coins that are pegged one-to-one, uh, you've seen uh, Tether increase, I think it was 4X from last year. Uh, it is the largest stable coin. It has over 40 billion dollars in market cap. And you've seen USDC, which is one-to-one -to, -one to the US dollar. Um, and that's the one that's also highly regulated by the US government through Circle. Uh, 10x from last year to this year with over 4 billion in market cap. And so adoption in stable coins, especially by institutions, has been tremendous. And the last thing I'll say to that is we used to see a lot of stable coins being driven by USDT uh, primarily, so very Asia-driven. Uh, beginning of this year, this was the first time we saw that flip with a number of institutions, even Asia-based institutions, trade into USDC because of some of the concerns uh, with Tether earlier in the year. That's uh, that's really exciting. And yeah, Tether, I'm not entirely sure what the collateral is. So I'm glad we're starting to see that uh, trend invert, as it were. Um, you mentioned, you briefly touched on it, but institutions are very interested in crypto. What can't they do right now? What is it very difficult to get across the, the the front line? And that kind of also then asks, you know, this corollary question is what's at the front of crypto that is exciting? Yeah, so uh, institutions can't touch DeFi, uh, which is the one thing I would say every institution asks on a call. It's like, how can you help me uh, access DeFi without me being without me touching it directly. Now, the reason for that is because of the KYC rule. So you want to know your customer on the other side. The United States takes that very, very seriously, primarily because uh, of you could be trading against a blacklisted wallet, a terrorist account, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, the implications of that in the United States are very, very serious. It is 100% jail time. And so a lot of these institutions do not want to touch that, do not want to you know, access it at all. Uh, but that is where you see a, you know, these double digit, the 40 plus, you'll see 150 plus yield uh, because it's so inaccessible today. Uh, and so ways that we've seen institutions access that is in a couple ways. Uh, on the less technology side, uh, they invest. This is where you see a lot of the private capital uh, getting raised. So they'll invest in fund of funds who are able to touch uh, DeFi directly. Uh, and so you'll see a number of fund of funds um, get raised, or uh, they will uh, also use technology. And the technology here is, is working, I would say it's, you know, there's a, a number of companies working on 
tagging wallets uh, that have associated KYC documents that are stored in a single folder or location that the U.S. government can then access, but tagging uh, wallets that have been KYC'd and whitelisted so that you can only engage with those wallets. Fireblocks is leading that primarily. Uh, and then you've seen a lot of closed loop DeFi uh, pools. So uh, one of the largest ones today is Avalanche, or sorry, Ave. Ave has a closed loop KYC liquidity pool. That said, you know, the incentives for market makers to post in a closed loop pool uh, aren't very high. And so you haven't seen mass adoption there. Uh, and kind of goes, you know, I would say there's a, a number of market makers in crypto who think it goes against the ethos perhaps of crypto to have a closed loop ecosystem. Uh, and so, you know, a number of other folks are working really on just tagging wallets uh, that you would know are safe to engage with directly. Do a quick knock on and I'll pick it up from uh, Michael question. And then we're going to break into breakout rooms. Um, onshore versus offshore. Onshore institutions in the U.S. specifically, there's a lot of limits around derivatives, trading, and even some exchanges, Binance versus Binance U.S., FTX versus FTX US. Do you want to talk a little bit about that schism and maybe, you know, pontificate on where you think that's headed? Uh, sure. Uh, to the extent that I can speak to this. So, uh, you know, U.S. exchanges have no liquidity period. Uh, you know, most of the market makers are on overseas exchanges, Binance being the largest one, Binance U.S. in comparison. I, you just can't compare. Same thing with FTX US. Uh, the order books are incredibly thin. Uh, there will be mass slippage on a trade that you place in those exchanges. The best exchanges in the United States today are Kraken and Coinbase as it pertains to liquidity uh, on both of those. Now, that said, um, you know, you've seen FTX apply for derivative licensing. Uh, that was one of the largest reasons that they acquired Ledger. Um, and uh, you know, in order to push for derivatives in the United States, we just got our swaps dealer approved last week. We were the first company in crypto to do that. Uh, and so you're seeing a lot of companies work very, very closely with regulators in order to push for that, because at the end of the day, the United States is the largest crypto market as it stands. This used to not be the case. Uh, you know, two years ago, uh, overseas, Asia was the largest uh, market for crypto. Uh, but since the China ban on mining, a lot of the miners have actually moved into the United States. And so the US is the largest market today. Regulators understand that. And so the goal is really how do we protect consumers on the other side uh, while making sure that we can also regulate this space in the same way it's regulated in traditional finance. So it's going to take time. Um, but that said, if you have a US entity, you are not going to get access to finance overseas, which means you also can't get access to a very liquid perp market, uh, to a very liquid swap market, uh, to very cool FTX has a new product today uh, overseas. And so there are a lot of really interesting things that you just cannot access today. Um, but a lot of, I would say, regulated players uh, that are trying to find uh, less, uh, more structured products that can solve the same use case that you would if you were to, you know, go ahead and trade that on exchange directly. That makes a lot of sense. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to start our breakout rooms because people have about a 15 minute extension span and then they start to drift. Um, <laughs> And uh, but when we in between breakout rooms, I we are going to ask you the same question we always ask, which is uh, get out your uh, crystal ball. What's coming down the pipe? What are you really excited by? And as always, uh, bonus or brownie points if it's something the audience hasn't heard about before. Now, uh, etiquette for the breakout rooms, y'all. It is 
networking, not pitching. Please be respectful of that. Be kind to one another. And then uh, we do not send out a full participant list. So if you meet somebody you want to connect with, please swap details then and there or join our Telegram group. Link's already in the chat. Introduce yourself. Ask for something. It's great. It's fun. It's very active. I or I love, sorry, man. I knew I was going to mess that up at some point here. I do you want to talk about breakup rooms? And by the way, you are muted. Let me unmute myself. Uh, yeah, it's getting close with the eyes and the eyelids in this room. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we'll hop into breakout rooms. You'll be in there for about 10 minutes with some five, six, seven folks uh, that are also alternative investors of various kinds. Definitely stick around for this one. Everybody's always surprised on who they are going to meet in there. And the first question to discuss is what are some of the security issues that need to be solved in order for institutional investors to actually get into crypto? What are some of the security issues? I'll pop you into the rooms and we'll see you back here in 10 minutes. Okie dokie. Welcome back, everyone. As a friendly reminder, when you're in the big room, which is where you are now, please do stay on mute. Otherwise, it causes mayhem. Yeah, slight exaggeration, but you get the, you get the gist. Aya, as promised, um, what, what, what's coming down in the future? Uh, put on your, your soothsaying hat. Yeah, so uh, I think one area that's gotten a lot of uh, traction recently has been metaverse and gaming. I know we talked about it a little bit in the last breakout room, but uh, this was the first year where we saw a decorrelation or decoupling of crypto. And so we saw users enter the space directly via NFTs uh, and metaverse gaming that would have never touched, haven't touched Bitcoin and ETH. So that is really, really, really important. Historically, a number of these users would have first traded, purchased Bitcoin, ETH, some other altcoin before heading into uh, the metaverse and gaming ecosystem. But with a lot of these play to earns, you've seen uh, users go directly to that. Um, and so the metaverse uh, and gaming, why is that really important? Look at all the um, money that luxury brands have spent uh, in order to try to figure out how to bridge their assets into some of these games. So most recently, Nike with their acquisition of Artifact uh, and the sneakers uh, that they're going to have. Uh, I have a young brother, but uh, he plays Fortnite and uh, he has skins in these Fortnite. And even he was saying that, you know, he would definitely use, you know, his $10 lunch money in order to buy better skins in the games that he plays with his friends. That creates a completely and opens up a completely new user race uh, that these games are trying to enable. And so that's going to create, a, you know, in crypto, the, the question is always, how do you unlock the next 2 billion users? Uh, and so metaverse and gaming, it's very top of mind for that. I love it. It makes a lot of sense. And I, everybody who's, who's uh, I respect in crypto, they don't focus on the price. To your point, that's exactly that. They focus on user adoption, right? They want global user adoption. I think we will get there eventually, but yeah, there's the more things to bring people in the fold and stuff like this fits there. So that's great. Love it. Appreciate the insight. All right. Um, I think that was enough time for Isla to rejigger the breakout rooms. So do you want to talk about the next round, Isla? Yeah, it certainly was. So I'll pop you into breakout rooms again, about five, six, seven peeps in each room. And uh, in a nutshell, the, the next question is that if you had a billion dollars to deploy tomorrow into crypto, where would you stick it? You may want to consider that you might crater some of these opportunities in the process, but uh, but that's kind of for you to figure out. I'll put you into rooms now and um, I'll see you back here just before the hour.
All right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully you had some good conversations and we're going to do a quick wrap and call it right at the top of the hour. If I can find the right slides. There you go. Up next, we do this every week. So our 101st is uh, coding a DAO. Uh, don't forget to send. Uh, and then uh, we do have in-person diffuse taps, including April 29th in New York, May 19th in Dallas. And actually, Terribly sorry, Mr. Culver. One in Atlanta on May 10th as well. So we are heavy on the in-person. So hopefully wherever you are, you can join us. Do not forget to join us on Telegram. Introduce yourself, ask for something. And then if you haven't already, definitely give us your Ethereum or slash Polygon address so we can chuck you the NFT. And as, as mentioned at the beginning, we are doing a very limited time basically today and only today, uh, we're only going to mention it once to get our shareholder count up for our DD30 IPO. Um, there's a link in the chat that I just sent. You can just literally, if you're interested, go ahead and subscribe then in there. Um, Isla, talking points I forgot. I think we've covered almost everything. In the follow-up email, you will get a link to the subscription for the DD30 $10,000 minimum. And uh, you'll also see a little Morning Star event um, kind of giveaway. Twenty free tickets is what we have. I don't know how many are still there. Uh, let's see, but you'll get that also in the follow-up email and a reminder to please send us your um, your wallet address if you'd like us to forward the NFT. Otherwise, so many things that you can choose to do. But yes. Aya, thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom here today. Um, incredibly articulate. Isla does judge people based upon their ability to spit out a clean transcript. And I think she's going to love you after that. Um, <laughs> and what you're saying is great as well. And thank you everybody for coming out today. It was great to see a lot of familiar faces and a few new ones. All right. Thank you all. Thank Sounds you. good, everybody. See you next week. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to Diffuse Tap with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.